it is strange to see pop musicians with sitars. I was confused at first. It had so little to do with our classical music. When George Harrison came to me, I didn't know what to think. But I found he really wanted to learn. I never thought our meeting would cause such an explosion that Indian music would suddenly appear on the pop scene. It's peculiar. But out of this, a real interest is growing. What's going on out there, Beatle people? This is Jonathan. Welcome to episode numero eight of Ranking the Beatles, the podcast that does its best to try to put all the Beatles songs in their rightful place, at least as far as my stupid opinion goes. Over here on my left, my illustrious co-host, yes. partner in crime, Miss Julia Priedis. Hello. How are you, my love? I'm doing pretty well. Good. If you picture in your head movie, we're sitting at a desk. I am on the right. She's on the left. Yes. Actually, you don't have to picture in your head movie because we took a really dumb photo yesterday. We did. After we we recorded our episode. So you can go see what we actually look like when we record. (laughs) Yeah. And by the time you hear this episode, that will have been up for quite a while. Yes. So. (laughs) Just just scroll back a bit. Yeah, just scroll back. It's like our third post, I think. Very excited about today's show. An old friend of ours is here on the pod today. Can we call it the pod? Are we at that point now? I guess so. I mean, this is like official ranking episode number three. Um, So I feel like that's pretty good progress. Yeah. I feel good about it. I, f- I feel like we're officially in pod territory. We're in pod territory, man. This is no longer just some trifling nonsense that I'm doing <laughs> to occupy free time I don't really have. <laughs> I mean, it still really is a silly thing that you're doing while oh, yeah. trying to occupy free time that you don't have. So. True, true, true. <laughs> but we have like real microphones with those little, um, those little uh, protector things, like the little stockings. Windscreen? Windscreen? Is it a windscreen? This I'm is like, a, a pop, is, a pop stopper. A pop stopper. Like, a pop stopper. So we have microphones with those. In so the I music like... biz, we call it a pop stopper. Mm. So and before, like when we're when we, when we were DIY, like for me as a musician. When I was doing everything DIY, um, you would build this out of uh, a hanger that you would take apart and straighten out and then do a loop at the top. Mm-hmm. And then you would take a pair of pantyhose yes. and put it on the top of it. And then you put that in front of the microphone. And uh, a young Jonathan did many recording holding a hanger with some pantyhose. I've actually seen like that around once or twice. Yeah, like, I probably kept it longer than I needed floating. to. Uh, in your music, so we have a in our house where we're recording right now is in Jonathan's music room. He has a whole room, the studio, his, his, his studio, it's for, the studio <laughs> for all his like music stuff because there's a lot. So um, we're here I, in the studio. Every now and then, I have to come in here for something, usually to find scissors, all of the scissors <laughs> that he has stolen from the kitchen. Um, so I kind of catch a glimpse of random 
pieces of equipment here and there. And I have, I do remember at some point seeing like the hanger with the pantyhose. And I was like, I think because I had a pop stopper and put a hole in it accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to like make one on the fly quick. to keep doing what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. At least you're resourceful. I think what's good is that we're giving our, our listener, <laughs> our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> we're giving our friend Kyle, <laughs> uh, <laughs> A behind-the-scenes look at real marriage life. This yes, is what it's like. Yes. Let's wipe that stuff to the side. we got a show to do today. Let's do it. I'm excited to have our guest today. Uh, it's a good friend of ours. He is a music writer and critic who covers indie music in New Orleans at MySpiltMilk.com. One of my favorite music writers. And that's S-P-I-L-T. Not past spilt. tense yes. of spilt. Of my spilled. spilt. Yes. MySpiltMilk. Uh, one of my favorite music writers in town. He also hosts a Christmas music podcast called The 12 Songs of Christmas, which is fantastic. And I love Christmas music. It's my total jam. Um, and he's starting the third season of that podcast, the Wednesday after Labor Day. So you need to get in the spirit and go check out 12 Songs of Christmas. I've never left the spirit. Spirit's always inside of us. <laughs> always. Um, in this house. <laughs> there's an, uh, an episode from last season. He had, uh, I was a guest on it, and we discussed the intricacies and the um, the hot potato-ness of Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time, which I'm going to stand for. That's a jam. It's classic. I love it. I don't care what anyone says. I love it so much, my own band covered it, and it's on Alex's podcast. It's great. It's, it's a jam. It's like beautiful in its simplicity and sort of a... Saccharin-ness. Mm, it's it's sweet but and that's sticky. What Christmas music is supposed to be sweet and sticky. You can't have like a super artsy Christmas song. That's <laughs> ridiculous. So yeah, our guest is the one and only Mr. Alex Rawls. Yes. Alex, how's it going, my friend? Good to see you. Socially distant. Yeah, exactly. Great. I'm doing fine. Good to see y'all. How are you doing? Good, man. I think last time I saw you was just a couple weeks before lockdown, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. We I don't remember what we were doing. Well, we were doing a pod. We did a my podcast. Well, no, we we just got together for beers one night. Ah, actually, yes. Yeah, and we did that too. I think that was right before the lockdown. Oh, I think though it was. that was like the weekend before, maybe. It that feels sounds like right. Another yeah. lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was forever ago. But yeah, it's good. Good to see you. Thank you for being on the show today. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, you are a music writer and critic. Um, but let's go back to your earlier days in the Great White North in Canada. Um, how did you first discover the Beatles? What are your first memories of the Beatles? Actually, I have to say Beatles, Beatles are uh, a Houston memory. That okay. I, was, I, I did my kid years in Houston mm-hmm. and about junior high moved to Canada and then moved back down, moved here for uh, grad school. Okay. And and it was shortly before I left Houston. So it would have been around 72 mm-hmm. that I started hearing Beatles. I had a friend whose name I no longer remember <laughs> who was the one who turned me on to uh turned me on to Beatles. And so and first thing so first things I had were Let It Be, the red compilation, blue compilation. I got those at Christmas one year. He was a McCartney guy, so I became a McCartney guy, and he was a uh, boy. I think right around there should have been um, living uh, living the material world, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that had just come out, and so I had that as a single. 
Beatles were big. They were the first rock band I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the kind of first band that someone else turned me on to, as opposed to something I just sort of found heard on the radio. Sure. For a time, it was you know it was really big, and I was I stayed a McCartney guy through definitely through wings through wings at the speed of sound. I can't remember what came after that rock show. I would have been. I was. I was on board for that. London Town, or Back London to the Town. Egg? Those two, I'm there. I, I like the singles, but mm-hmm. I had my. I kind of maxed. Sure. Um, <laughs> it started to feel like he was. You know, partly I'd lost my. You know, I was moving much more into punk, mm-hmm. and so in that context, McCartney sounded pretty arch pretty dated and uh and you know Beatles were just kind of they were at that point they were old news and sure. I was very into what was new news at that time mm-hmm. um so I always I always liked John Lennon's songs but I just never sort of found myself getting buying John Lennon uh stuff mm-hmm. uh liked again loved singles when I heard them but it just sort of didn't really at the time uh it wasn't my it wasn't my number one. Sure. And then, and then since then, I've always sort of they're one of those bands I sort of come I go back and forth on. There are times where I can really go down a Beatles rabbit hole, as I think anyone who appears on this show has to be able to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can also come out the other side and just like, what was I doing? And. <laughs> I I was thinking when I, I realized when McCartney last played uh, the uh, Smoothie King Center, mm-hmm. I was probably the only person in the room who really wanted more wings and more solo material. Hold like, on. You are not <laughs> the only person in okay. the room. Yay. It would be the two of us. Wait, I have to, so I, you probably haven't heard because like we literally just put it out, but like my intro little episode like I did it was just Jonathan and I we did like a little intro about me and um I told the story of at that show we were like up in the the top like we waited till the last minute to get tickets and you know wasted our time and then ended up eight miles away and he was like this This one's for the wings fans and it was kind of quiet and I went the response was not massive right and I was like that's me and our whole section (laughs) laughed (laughs) everybody turned and looked at her and laughed. <laughs> so oh, that's great. You are not alone in your yeah. love and appreciation and desire of more wings. <laughs> well, and, and I also have to say, part of it was that I wanted that was material I wanted to, I wanted to come to grips with, and I wanted to hear what does he do, do with that material. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, like I, I want to hear I want to hear Beatles play Beatles songs, sure. and um, so it, I really that wasn't what I wanted, and I also. When going back to songs that are 50 years old, you're selling nostalgia at that point. Yeah. And the fact is that, you know, the Wings material and his solo material since hasn't been nearly as thoroughly chewed on. So there's actually some life in the in the in performance. There's some life in the interaction between the audience. There's something at risk in the, right. in the interaction between him and the audience. And that's part of what I go to a show for. I want to hear... I want to hear what you know, what flies, what doesn't fly. I want to hear what works. I, I'd love to have seen McCartney have to win and not win a crowd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can McCartney sell? Can McCartney sell anything? Can he make any song go? Mm-hmm. Um, is his, you know, is his 
you know, barometer true enough that he can figure out which of these songs really will fly live and which won't. Yeah. Um, can he save a song live? I'd love to have seen all of that. Mm-hmm. And but if you walk in with uh, starting off with, you know, 20 or 2025 songs that are among the most beloved songs in the 20th century. I'm like, hey, yeah, I guess the odds are a little bit on your side. <laughs> you don't have, you don't have to win much. We're stacking the deck. But yeah, I think yeah. I really, I think what my favorite moment of that, of that show. And I think he did it all throughout the tour. Um, one, it was the first tour in a while where he had live horns as opposed right. to just wicks, Wiccans doing horn parts on keys. Um, but right. when he did uh, letting go, I thought was a, a standout yeah. moment. Cause that's a great song that doesn't get a ton of love. And to yep. have it with the real horn section, it had punch and it had power. Uh, and that was probably my favorite moment of that show because it was just something I hadn't seen him do it at right. the last couple of shows that I had that the last few times I'd seen him. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, I was there and I was there for a lot of men. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, the, you know, that's like good. That's McCartney sort of good corny. Yeah. Um, I love that song. And, uh, and, and, there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great bass parts on, uh, on speed of sound. Mm-hmm. So like, all right, yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty there for that. And, uh, so when it gets to, when it got to like Helter Skelter, I'm like, eh, yay, happy birthday. <laughs> eh, yay. You know I mean? I didn't, I didn't unenjoy it. I wasn't unhappy. I'm not against going to get a beer excited. during Hey Jude though. Like it's going to go on for 10 minutes. Yeah. You're over it. I got time. Yeah. You're over it. I hem and haw with that song a lot, especially in relation to this list and the podcast. Like, yeah. Part of me was like, I could drop this in the mid one fifties and just watch the world burn. (laughs) (laughs) Just see what happens. (laughs) So you said, uh, let it be was your first Beatles album. That was my next question. It should be. Yeah. I think so. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, I have a lot of affection for it's it's I mean, such a good record, and I think it gets kind of a bum rap just because of the story associated with it. Yeah. Um, but the songs on it are really good, and it's got a nice kind of mellow, laid-back feel to it um, that I really enjoy. Even the original version ver- versus the naked version, um, just that right. material just has like kind of a nice laid-back um, Sunday morning feel to me. It's very it's a nice like chill album. Yeah, it, and I have to say, it's like I always think about it, and that right next to Abbey Road, and mm-hmm. I like, and I enjoy listening to it so much more, just because it, it doesn't feel like it's reaching nearly as hard. You know, and there's like a part of that close, a part of, you know, of, of that medley, where any individual piece isn't particularly inspiring, and it's more a fact that they did it, and it feels. A, there are times where I listen to that, and I feel like. I think what I'm applauding is someone's ability to juggle seven knives sure. more than mm-hmm. this as a complete, this as a complete musical accomplishment. There's segments in it that I'm 100% there for it just as music. And there's points where this is like, they just did a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yay. Good boys. <laughs> well done. Lads. Like, I'll, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that for like the mean Mr. Mustard Pothing Pam bathroom window stretch. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the last three from Carry That Weight, Golden Slumbers, The End are it's it's a it's akin to something almost in like a classical sense. 
in that it, it's it's movements that make a bigger whole, um, but in a more impactful way than the yeah. first part of the medley does. Yeah, and it and it's also realize each any of those musical ideas stretched out couldn't have carried couldn't have carried their weight that much farther. Sure. That it was like recognizing this is a good thought for a minute twenty, mm-hmm. and if I try to take this song out to four minutes, it's you know it, it's going to be flabby or nothing else fits quite right with it. Mm-hmm. This needs to be a, a sort of like a little miniature and a piece of that uh, and a piece of that. That I think is you know say there's all, I mean I enjoy listening to it when I hear it. I'm not going to you know like you know stupid Beatles. But um, <laughs> but it, it, but if you have your if you have your Spotify on shuffle and you just hear Golden Slumbers, you're seriously disappointed when it doesn't when it just yeah. cuts off in the middle of a chord progression. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I like but 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 to to finish that thought out, what I like about Let It Be is that there's none of that architecture. It's just here's some cool songs and uh and here's some even kind of like some kind of relaxed songs mm-hmm. uh and like uh you know like let's just let's just rock for a while um i mean even at a point like i had to say listening to that like i didn't know the stories when i was hearing it and you could hear that this is this is a band pulling in a number of directions mm-hmm. but weirdly it kind you know it, it hangs together well enough to to, to not like, like I didn't feel angsty listening to it. Um, it's yeah. like, okay, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, oh, uh, one after nine oh nine, um, and uh, because you're a sweet and lovely girl. Oh, for oh, you, blue. Yeah, for you, blue. That's right. I can't. Not sure why these all hang. But the nice thing is that none of them are such major statements, or a lot. Most of it isn't major statement music. So it all kind of feels sort of comfortable sure. and workable as a, uh, as sort of a, just a Sunday morning listen. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about, you know, not feeling that tension. Um, I think on something like the white album, that tension is so palpable because every song is so different and so yeah. different by design and the flow is every song is different. So it definitely, it, it creates this, this ominous sensation that I think you definitely don't get from, from let it be. I think that's, that's a really interesting point I hadn't considered before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get down to brass tacks. Let's get to the rankings. Um, so for those who are catching up for the first time, we're ranking 223 songs recorded and released by the Beatles. Um, starting at 223, we had Come Give Me Dein Hand, Mr. Moonlight, P.S. I Love You, and now coming in at number 219 is Love You Too, George Harrison composition from Revolver. So this song was written by George in 1966. Uh, the Beatles were on an unusually prolonged break. They were scheduled to make a third film in 66 following A Hard Day's Night and Help, uh, but they weren't able to find a satisfactory script, so they had a little extra time. Um, George had been immersing himself into Eastern music and philosophy uh, ever since encountering Indian uh, Indian musicians during the making of Help in 65 uh, and dove into sitar lessons at the same time. 
Um, and this song was kind of his first attempt to just full on go into everything he'd learned up to that point um, about Indian music and to do something completely separate from the Western pop songs that the Beatles were known for. Um, and I think he's really the first major contemporary pop artist to do this, to give that kind of platform uh, to this music. Now, the writing of the song is also concurrent with uh, George and everybody else's, I guess, kind of immersion into LSD and psychedelics and counterculture ideals. Um, so it, I think it's interesting to kind of explore how those two correlations line up. Um, and also, this is the third song recorded uh, for Revolver, following Tomorrow Never Knows, Got to Get You Into My Life, and then uh, this one here. So you're already off to a really different start from finishing Rubber Soul a few months prior. So I think they're already going into it with a really different mindset, and that's kind of showing from the get-go. Um, so I guess just to kind of jump into why it's in the rankings. Why do I have it here? Um, I'm fully aware. So when I posted this on Facebook, this got a ton of hot feedback <laughs> for lack of better, uh, better word. I'm fully aware that the song is really important, especially as it pertains to the status uh, kind of as the first time pop music meets Indian influence, I guess. And that's totally valid. Uh, for me, it's just never quite stuck as a song. I think just in terms of the idea of does the song exist outside of the arrangement? Maybe that is the big hang up with the fact that it's not a pop song. And maybe I can't wrap my head around it not being a pop song on a Beatle record. Um, to me, I find the vocal kind of monotonous, even though I think that is by design um, from that kind of traditional Indian classical music. But there's something about George's vocal tone on it that I think makes it kind of grating because he's so scouse and so nasally on it that there's something about it that just kind of grates at me. Does that make sense? Well, I'm going to first say, Julia, Yes. where are you with this? Where are you? Please tell me. Please tell me you hear the genius of this song. Um, I so we actually also talked about this in my um in my little intro episode that I work at a yoga studio, so all of the like heavily sort of Eastern music influenced songs, uh, they just sort of sit well with me. They they land I in a place it. of like <laughs> familiarity and niceness and and joy and relaxation and comfort and like it gives me all the good feels. Um, so I do not think that I would rank this song where he has. I I think I would disagree. Um, I know I'm going to get crucified for this. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> well aware. I, I feel like this is pretty low for this song. I'm I'm actually a little surprised you put it this low. I I can see you know I get your understanding and it is like kind of, it, it lands on the more intense end of the spectrum. It and we talked about this before. It's very much like I, guys, I just got this new toy. We got to write a whole song about it. Like let's do it. Let's do it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, like it's very intense and like you can feel that in the song. Like he has this like new shiny thing that he wants to show all his friends and all their friends and like be He's the cool found guy. A light. He's been enlightened. Yeah, like he wants to be like the cool guy that discovered this thing that has been around for a long time. But that's you know another that's another discussion for another day, colonizer. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, you know, 
so, yeah. but I'm with you, Alex. This, this, I don't, I don't find it should be quite this low on the list. But go on, hon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, let, let, so, let, let's hear what, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? So I have to say, this is actually one of the handful of Beatles songs I can almost always listen to. And, and there's a handful of things in it that always speak to me. One of which is I like the fact the way it try the way George sort of threads the needle in that it's very clearly it is, as you say, an in, in Indian classical tradition, but he does get to what stands as a chorus. He gets to the sure. uh, I'll make love to you. And so that section feels like a chorus. Mm -hmm. And so you do get a popish structure out of it built out of these largely Indian parts. Um, and, and so that interests me first off. And I, and I actually find it catchy. Uh, even as he is, like you say, he is singing in, in, in tradition, but he's, again, he's kind of navigating the difference between, you know, what's natural to him and what's in tradition. And so I feel like that, I feel like he actually ha handles that pretty well. Mm -hmm. The other part that completely knocks me out and what probably got me into the song the first time is just that crazy great distorted guitar mm -hmm. that super distorted uh, guitar in uh, going into the chorus and just so and so and I know he's I know he's controlling it on the volume pedal mm -hmm. but the fact that it comes in like it doesn't like there's no attack to it it just suddenly appears yeah and and, and then it just suddenly goes straight back out and there's just sort of this, you know, and I just love that just kind of like suddenly this just chunk of almost concrete sound gets <laughs> airlifted into the song then gone. And it takes, back, I think, I think also gone. it takes a while to figure out what that is because you're not expecting to hear a guitar. And, and I also have to say part of what I, I mean, I also love the, you know, the, just the, uh, the forward momentum of it mm -hmm. that I, it's something I'm sure if I thought for five minutes, I could come up with 10 songs that charge that way. But just that whole forward, just sort of, you know, freight train forward momentum that mm -hmm. comes with the tabla and the sitar is just, you know, just so propulsive. And um, it, it feels, I mean, I know the, the tabla, I think the sitar is not, you know, there's no particular meter, but I think it's, it feels like the, like the percussion's rushing. Yeah, uh, which and I love how that works, and uh, and especially think about like as a you know in punk rock, all drummers rushed, and sure. so um, <laughs> and so that felt very comfortable to me. And mm. Again, so I could hear how that connected back to a lot of music that I already liked. See, and I think this almost feels like yeah, and to circle back to what you said a few minutes ago about that kind of that tension that you don't feel on like a Let It Be. This song like embodies that like ominous tension. Um, yep. And for some reason, I don't know, it maybe I think it just makes me feel uneasy. <laughs> <laughs> like, but see, but, but the electric guitar, when that comes in, that's the moment that releases it. That when you suddenly get out of this completely sort of, you know, out of out of the section that is not in your musical wheelhouse, that you suddenly get just this crash of electric guitar. Mm hmm. And, and and to come back to like one of the most basic phrases in rock and roll, I'll make love to you. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, zoop, we're back in a place I understand. I uh, This is uh, familiar language. But it, there, um, but there's such a weirdness to it because the lyric bounces, I think, from 
from this kind of really, you know, kind of world weary perspective, you know, a lifetime is so short, a new one can't be bought, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'll make love to you if you want me to. Like, yeah, it's so like <laughs> lackadaisical and like nonchalant that it all. It, Look, yeah. It's just consent, man. It's, just, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's basic consent. Yes. Like, if only if you want me to. Yeah. <laughs> if it's cool with you. And he's not trying. He's, he's so ahead a cool of his guy. time. He's totally on his times, and he's not a try hard. He's like, look, if you want me to. He's also just talking. <laughs> he's married at this point. He's freshly married. So I don't know. I just it, the sentiment is strange to me because he it, like it's weird. I think it, within the same lyric to go from this mystical kind of train of thought into just like, oh, but Hey, if you want to do it, but that's cool. Like yeah. that's, it just strikes me as a weird juxtaposition to jump from that to that. See, now I have to say one of the things I really like about it is also that it, I think it makes tomorrow never knows make more sense. Yeah. I think it tomorrow never knows sat by itself at the end of the record and been the one, just the one tripped out section that would have in the one section that wasn't a straight pop song that, that would have felt really would have felt weird. Yeah, I could but see having that. this other and this other piece that is again completely outside kind of the Beatles musical vocabulary makes gives it gives it some balance. Yeah, and because um, again, even like there's because there's just nothing there's you know even though you do it is a more organically psychedelic record, which is part of I mean, that whole that period that like you know Rubber Soul Revolver yesterday and today some extent help like that's my sweet spot with the Beatles Mm -hmm. and, and particularly, particularly yesterday and today and uh, revolver where they feel really genuinely and organically psychedelic. Yeah. They're Um, they're not like trying super hard to be psychedelic. They're just existing in what they're doing in life, which is smoking a lot of, a lot of weed and taking a lot of acid, but they haven't like bought the clothes yet, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and they're they're not trying to be psychedelic. It's just it all is coming as a natural extension of of, of where they were musically and and as people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and again, this feels completely that, that this feels like an organic expression. It feels like exactly where George was. And uh, so I, and, and and more so than hearing George play like country licks at this point, right? Um, like. That's, you know, George is already a fair distance from that, you know, emotionally. That's like, that was, you know, in in 65, that was three or four years ago that he was picking up Carl Perkins licks. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I like, you know, I think this, you know, and the whole record say has that, you know, as part of what I like so much about it is it does have this kind of organic, you know, psychedelic feel because psychedelia is so easily goes south for me. Sure. um, When it feels like, like, if you need a, a naysaying voice or anywhere in the um, anywhere in the Sergeant Pepper conversation, mm-hmm. or you need somebody to root for the underdog in Sergeant Pepper, I'm there. That <laughs> I'm, I'm almost I'm almost like inverse sine curve with everybody else on Sergeant Pepper. It's like there's a good chance if you like it, I probably don't. Um, <laughs> And the, the Sergeant Pepper that you that you think is kind of uh, nothing or a throwaway, I'm probably there for. Yeah. Um, so we'll revisit I, this I conversation. Find, I'm sure. Yeah. You're like that so, Sergeant Pepper's devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
yeah, I, I have almost no patience for it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's like, you know, because because they work so damned hard on it. Yeah. And you can and you can, you know, you can see the flexes trying to, like, make things work. And whereas this case, you don't doesn't, doesn't look like or doesn't sound like they're ever working hard on this record. Every idea feels musically natural. Even and I think so, even, even the far out, you know, even as you, as you get far out with with tomorrow never knows it still yeah. feels like an extension of where they've, where they've been to where they are now. Uh, yeah. it feels natural still. Yeah. Right. And, and I will say, you know, for what, for whatever flack I'm, I may be inadvertently giving love you too. And I'm, I'm not saying I dislike the song. I have to like do this disclaimer every show. I don't dislike the song. You should own it. Own your dislike. Own <laughs> I, do- it. <laughs> I don't dislike it. Uh, it's just not my, listeners will not it's like not my go-to. Out and crawfish like that. <laughs> I'm not. <Own> <laughs> so, okay. I don't dislike the song. One of the things I do appreciate about it is that it does give license to them at that point to just do whatever they want to do going forward. Yeah. Like it opens all the doors to do absolutely anything, uh, whether it's psychedelic, whether it's, um, you know, avant-garde, whether it's vaudeville music hall, like they can do anything at that point. Why did that open that up? Like was, was that forcing someone to give them permission or no, they took the permission to say, we're so capable to do whatever we want to do and do it well that we can do anything like we're going to put, we're the biggest band in the world. We're going to, and you're expecting pop songs and we're going to give you an Indian classical raga and it's ours. So like to their fans basically. Yes. Okay. I was wondering like, who are they seeking this permission permission from like universal permission, George Martin or like he never told them what to do. No, no, no. Not like, I mean, he like guided them, but sure. but no, I, th- I think it gave them carte blanche as far as like the universal perception to to say we can do whatever we whatever we want to do because we're just that right. damn good, <laughs> you know. Gotcha. One of the things I guess one of the reasons I find Sergeant Pepper is kind of a breaking point, though I understand it, mm-hmm. but for me it's a breaking point. But I think one of the things that's really interesting about, and I think what you're just saying right now, Julia, is that because I was a little bit in the same place you were with that with that thought, is that what one of the things you hear. And, and, and you rarely hear it today, and this might be, so it's maybe part of what makes the Beatles so interesting, is that you can hear record to record them still discovering where their boundaries are. And like, oh, well, that's not about, that wasn't a boundary. Oh, that wasn't actually a boundary. Oh, that wasn't, and, you know, and like song by song and album by album. It's like, oh, we just went to a place that we didn't know we could go before. Oh, we're going to another place we didn't know we could go before. And and I think that is that's I think that's really interesting. I think that's why this still sounds organic. And I think there came a point. I said I feel like it's Sgt. Pepper where it's like okay. I think they found the I think they found the edge of the world. Mm-hmm. And so there was like now. Let's you know and then start looking back and building things. Yeah. Um, because so I, I think up until that point, any looking back they did, they would give to someone else. Right. Like, that, you know, if, if Paul wrote something that sounded like something that they'd already put out, he'll give it to Chad and Jeremy or they'll give it to Silla right. Black or somebody like that. Um, and it's not until you really you get to, I guess, to some extent, Sergeant Pepper, because then you start to get to like when I'm 64, which is like a 
at that point, like an eight year old song, something like that. Right. Um, and then the white album, you start to get things like back in the USSR, uh, Martha, my dear, things like that, that are pastiches almost, you know, it's like, right. This is our take on this, you know, right. your blues. This is our take on like a British blues song, you know, like, not that they're not innovating, but innovation is not necessarily the forefront of the trip. Right. You know, I have, this is, you know, kind of like a shorthand theory I've had, which will take longer to explain than to, to apply. But, you know, I always think, you know, you kind of, ju- you know, I've always thought like Rolling Stone, I always thought was wrong that they would judge an album, a, ba- a band by great albums. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that was, you know, that, that sort of stacks the deck in a very specific way. And at the same time, just going with singles as the measure feels like you can, you can overvalue some basically lightweight artists because they had lots of singles. And I started to think about measuring an artist by how long their run is, how long it takes them to kind of discover their musical world mm-hmm. and that it will go a certain distance. And after that point, they'll still make, make good music, but it will either be either like going back on themselves and going back and re-exploring something they've already done, or it'll be like a self-conscious reaction against what they've done. Mm-hmm. And, and in some cases that period is a single. And, you know, and in some cases it can be a, you know, a seven, eight album, you know, run. And it applies, I, I, you know, that, you know, a theory kind of applies in, you know, across the board, not, uh, you know, painters, filmmakers. But, you know, I was kind of thinking about what, what, when does it, how long does it take for someone, you know, to, to discover their world? And the people who, you know, the, the, the more prominent artists took longer because they had a bigger world to discover. Right. And, you know, and so like, you know, say like to me, you know, I, I can't, I can't do the front end cause I can't think of kind of where, you know, the first Beatles album, I think really kind of counts as a, as a sort of a, a fairly complete thought, but certainly until, you know, Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper for me is the, it was, the, was the end of the arc. Yeah. Um, and, um, and after that, you can hear them trying to either self do things self consciously, instead of naturally continue to explore any given direction, and um, and that's what makes it for me makes this one period sort of so na- so interesting. Do you think that um, artists sort of like is it is it a case of like running out of steam, or do you think it's just a case of getting too comfortable? I don't. Th- I don't think of it as when you say both those. You, there's sort of there's a kind of a negative implication that I don't. I don't attribute. I think. I think it's more like it is. You found the edge of the world, and you found the edge of your world. It doesn't mean like it was. It was wrong for you to get there, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't mean it's bad for you to like look at where you've been and see. Hey, there's there's some other cool stuff over there. Let's go back over there. Um, I think it's. A, I think it's a completely natural natural thing. Sooner or later. You know, you you eventually, come to the you know that, yeah, yeah, and so I, you fall off. So the, yeah, the, yeah, the other option. Yeah. So. Why uh, why do you think we no longer see 
mainstream mainstream contemporary artists embracing cultural music like this? Oh, well, in the case of the specific song, I think that it's rare that people actually ever have. I mean, um, even if you think about, you know, so obviously, the, you know, the Beatles have, you've got Love You Too, Within Without You, The Inner Light. Um, but then even kind of like the Stones picked up on it a little bit. You know, there were other acts that picked up the Indian influence. Um, I guess maybe the last time you heard a band that really waved that flag would be like Corner Shop in the 90s. Sure. But who were great. Yeah. But has there ever, I mean, I can't think of anybody who's said, you know, and not just, not necessarily Indian music, but any non-Western cultural music, I haven't seen a Western pop band, um, you know, try to embrace that in any kind of non-ironic oh. way. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, no, I, I get you. I think, I think the simplest, I mean, there's probably two or three kind of, you know, fairly straightforward reasons. I think one was that the Beatles were in such a specific place, you know, at that, at that time they could do this. Right. You know, and uh, and to some extent, I don't think had, you know, had McCartney or Lennon written that song, I don't think it would have flown. I think it was that, you know, it's like George gets, you know, a couple of songs a record. Are we really going to uh, going to piss on this one? Mm -hmm. And particularly, are we going to piss on the one that's the one that he's most invested in? Yeah. Uh, And that is like closest to where closest to his identity at that moment. Um, and so I think the, you know, the, the specifics of the moment somehow are part of what got that song, uh, through, mm-hmm. but I also think, you know, it's, I think one thing we, it's easy for us to lose track of, but, you know, up to that point, how rare, how rare pop bands as bands were mm-hmm. and how you didn't, you know, and, you know, they're playing their own records. I mean, they're playing their own. I mean, they're sorry. They're playing their own instruments, and now we're far more self-conscious about bands, bands as bands, and the idea that you're going to like just airlift in two or three other musicians who aren't in your band mm-hmm. to play to play, and the, you're going to have half your band is going to go and you know, going to go to the chip shop for an hour uh, <laughs> and take the hour take the afternoon off. That's not the way bands, you know, work right now. Yeah, that feels like that would be like you'd have every people wondering, like, are you guys okay? It's like, is 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 it the last record? What's going on? <laughs> like, if if half the band is missing from a track, that must mean there's signs of tension. You know, we're now we think about bands, and bands think about bands. You, you I mean you've had the experience? You can yeah. tell me if I'm you know if I'm wrong, but there's a sense that, you know, I'm sure if, you know. If you if if a band you've been in said okay we actually don't need you on this song you're gonna you feel know, miffed yeah take the gonna, night off yeah yeah and it's funny because I feel I think the way musicians look at bands now the archetype for that is the Beatles you want to be this self contained unit but I think people overlook the fact that you know McCartney did there's no one else but McCartney on yesterday you right. know like that that became a not an uncommon occurrence for that right you know, for, yeah we don't need this. You try to learn from mistakes that you see other bands make, or, you know, you look at bands as kind of your watermark of what you want to be, but sometimes you miss those same things that also made that successful. You know, bands in general are such specific things and they are, you know, and they're so delicately, you know, balanced. And, and part of what makes a band 
is like a bass player who can only use two fingers and uh and like who's got you know, you end up having to work around someone's limitations mm -hmm. or the fact that someone just loves you know just loves the hell out of a certain key or certain tempos and like these these are these become hallmarks but they're kind of like bad habits or uh that just that end up becoming signature yeah because you can make it work and you can work in those spaces mm -hmm. and uh but like what the, you know the thing about beatles really was that they just, you know, like, as much as you want to like point at words or, you know, words or music, like they understood their thing was their product. Yeah. And that if it took one person to make it, go team go. If it takes George, you know, uh, two guys that the rest of the band has never heard of and, uh, and Paul singing some, uh, Paul singing some harmony to get a song in, go team go if it works. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's a different way of thinking about me, about, about a band. And uh, so I think that's, I think that's really interesting. So to tie it back into your earlier analogy about like uh, sort of finding the end of their world, do you think that maybe they were able to find such a massive and like so far the, the end of their world was so far because they didn't have to carry three other people with them? Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great way yeah. to think about it. Yeah. That, like sometimes you know, they did, but a lot yeah. of the times they were free to just like go in that, find the edge of their world on their own. And they didn't have to worry about, you know, two or three other people in their ear. Like, no, 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 come back. No, no, no. Come yeah. on this and they, way. <laughs> and they knew that the other three had their back. Yeah. I think was the other important thing. Yeah. You know, they knew everybody was pulling equal weight. Yeah. They could go find, yeah. uh, find a new edge and then come back and be like, guys, look what I found. This <laughs> yeah. is so cool. And, Let's and do something with it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think part of what's interesting is that they, you know, there are, you know, say you have these tracks that are either individual or one or two people, but then they figured out how to, how two or three records down the line, how to do a, a song that moves from that place forward with more of the band involved. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like, okay, if it's going to be the soft stuff, the yesterday stuff, that's, that's, Paul's little peninsula over here. <laughs> and if it's going to have a, a sitar, that's George's little gorge over there. And, um, but it's like, okay, once we got a sitar in, okay, we do the sitar thing, but we also add this part and that's a Ringo and that's John and we're all back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these different sort of solo, you know, momentary solo expeditions don't become, just sort of solo pods it becomes like to, to find a really natural analogy like kiss slow songs written by peter chris <laughs> <laughs> oh no holy well, like so close so we're just barely into the podcast and kiss has come up already. oh man uh, 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 burn it down they're gonna shut us shut down. it down yep. the, the beatles authorities so, i don't I know what it. that is they're gonna find us and shut us down so is it safe to say at 219 for love you too you disagree oh drastically Wholeheartedly. I, I could i could put it 100 songs higher yeah and it's in it's could, in your low yeah. hundreds or i guess your high hundreds however it would be low it'd be low hundreds. It, 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 probably higher than that but i just in your that, top 100 uh, yeah yeah definitely yeah i i have to say i i because I, I also should, I want to be sort of honest as we go through this conversation and as we, as we go farther, like, you know, we, you know, do this again, cause we will argue about songs again, oh, yeah. but I have to say part of my, 
part of my affection for it is that having gone through, you know, listening to Beatles so much, there came a point where the songs I became more interested in were the songs I did that, the songs that, that now have something for me, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, like, you know, thinking about what to do with Hey Jude, you know, there's, there's no blood left in that one for me. Yeah. I I could, I could put Hey Jude here. I mean, I recognize again, we'd have people's heads would explode, but I I really don't need to hear it again. Yeah. Um, There's, there's nothing in it left for me. And so like a lot of my, the songs I like most right now, and the songs I go back to, are ones that haven't been played beyond played into, you know, into submission for me. So I'm, you know, like one of my favorites is right now is Dr. Robert. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and there's not a compelling reason why it's meaningfully better than a lot of other songs, but I know that it's a song that right now, like if I want to hear a Beatles song from this period, that kind of rocks has got to, it moves well. And that feels like it's got some edge to it. Mm-hmm. I'm there. Yeah. And uh, and I'm like there for like a lovely Rita off of Sergeant Pepper. If I'm going to go to Sergeant Pepper, I'm, I'm there for that. Mm-hmm. There's a point when my tastes would have run a lot close, a lot truer to form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of now it's like, you know, again, this is I've been on, Be- you know, been been more or less on Beatles since early 70s. And so, like, nah, I, I kind of need, you know, what's left to hear. Right. Um, and, uh, and and a song like Lucky Two lines up a lot closer to where I am now. I mean, I got to say, the fact that charging drums, you know, the rushing tempo makes sense with a lot of punk rock that I like. Mm-hmm. Right now, I, I actually, I like a lot of exotic music. And so Indian classical is in a great place for me. George is the is still sort of a field I'm still interested in exploring more. Yeah. Whereas again, I've had time to chew on McCarty and I've had time to chew on Lennon, and uh, I've yet to feel like there's enough there to make me want to chew on the Ringo catalog. Um, so. <laughs> Poor Ringo. And, and now, 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 I love the Ringo record. Oh, it's Richard so good. Perry produced Ringo record, but um, at this point, a lot of my my interest is. Who's got something? Where's there? Where's there something in here for me to find myself? Find something that that still has interest, yeah. or you know, something that something that that I like for the reasons I like music now. And I think it's also interesting. I've heard this uh, a couple of times uh, in our conversations. We haven't had that many so far, but it seems like their catalog is so vast. Like the types of music and they're, they're slow, there's fast, there's peppy, there's, you know, schmoopy love songs. There's, you know, there's, there's sort of something for every mood, like wherever you are in your life, you can find at least one Beatles song that will speak to you where you are. And that's absolutely bananas to me (laughs) that four humans could create in such a short amount of time, like such a vast catalog of, emotions and words that speak to the human experience even like a certain song will speak to you on different levels you know not even to speak to like their whole catalog and it's i think that's kind of amazing that you know your favorites will evolve over time because you as a human are evolving but there's always something there there's always something to come find like a, a nice little security blanket that you're just like this is what i need right now like a little a little balm <laughs> yeah. for my soul 
I love it. Well, Alex, let me do, um, do I do a few rapid fires before I let you go? Sure. All right. Sure. Cool. Rapid fire. First thing off the top of your head. Here we go. Favorite Beatles song. Oh, man. <laughs> um, well, for today, I uh, love you too. Awesome. <laughs> I gotta say, that's not a way I ever think about music. What's my favorite anything? I, I never, I don't, I don't have a desert island. I, I used to have a desert island disc list. Mm-hmm. And and I could tell and I could tell you like the first three or four albums off it, but I really don't think they'd be my Desert Island discs anymore. But they were the ones I said for so long that I can remember them. Sure. <laughs> so what you're saying is you would not rank the catalog like I have done. <laughs> mm, it would be a completely it would be it would be a completely intellectual exercise. Valid. I could do it, but I I could do it, but it would be just here's an exercise. It would be like doing long division. And that's kind I of what it started as. This kind of started as just like fun and shits and giggles. And then as I started posting, I think this was the post where I think it had 90 comments. And I don't have that many actual friends. <laughs> and and I and all of a sudden, I think three people were like, this should be a podcast. And I was like, oh, shit. I probably should. <laughs> Uh, I think it's it's nice because you're not approaching it from a standpoint of like I'm correct. Yeah, I'm it's not right like, or wrong. This yeah. is my yeah. complete opinion, and like let's talk about it. It's you know. And by not... the time right. I finish doing this run, I might have a completely different ranking. That's also valid. Yeah. Like I may re- that might be the last episode I re-rank everything and just read them <laughs> off like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I hundred percent that I was I, I've had that experience. Yeah. Uh, I that I was that when I when I was finishing grad school, I was doing my uh, doing my my dissertation on a American turn of the century, uh, early turn of the, early turn of the century uh, novelist uh, Sinclair Lewis, and by the time I had finished writing about him, I had completely changed the way I thought about him. But I was way too far down the line to just go back and revise everything I had just written and just like pitch, you know, pitch, pitch, you know, you know, pitch 70, 80 pages to like go back and like pick it up again. So I was like, I have said this and this is what I have said, I think. And so I think that. But to, but in two hours, if anybody actually in the world wanted to talk about Sinclair Lewis, we'd have a different conversation. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. All right, so if, if, I don't, maybe you can't answer this one then. Least favorite Beatles song. Oh, yeah. Uh, we could do that. It's going to be either... It's either Long and Winding Road or Hey Jude. Okay, okay, okay. Ballads Fa- for sure. Ballads, all right. <laughs> favorite Beatles album. Right now, yesterday, and today. Uh, favorite memory for you associated with the Beatles? I got to say, since I'm not typically a very nostalgic person and it's not uh, that uh, I got to say that like hanging out with the the guy who uh, first played Beatles songs for me and I don't remember his name. I have no idea what he looks like anymore, but I do remember his room. That's cool. And so How weird. Yeah, and uh, I and I didn't know him very long. I, I met him about three or four months before we ended up moving to uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember anything about him except except that. So that's kind of cool. So I guess but uh-huh. I like that kind of because it's like a, a memory that comes with a mystery. Yeah, 
That's awesome. That's so what cool. What if he's like a major Beatles nerd and he actually finds his podcast and listens to it and we can like make a reconnection? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's kind of a, kind of a cheesy one. Uh, who's your favorite Beatle? Well, these days I suppose George. Um, and not just because, I mean, that's, I mean, it makes sense. I like, you know, I think he has handled you know, he handled the, the the latter part of his life. I thought he handled it very interestingly. Mm-hmm. I love that he spent money on things like uh, Monty Python, um, helping to support things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you know, and I liked I liked the fact that he sort of found a place in like the Wil- traveling Wilburys, even though I I don't particularly res- you know like that as a as a project. That I like his parts in it mm-hmm. and. Um, and I probably like more later George songs than I like from anyone else. So, I mean, John didn't have a lot of later songs. So no. there's, that's a short, the, so, you know, <laughs> but that's, the th- that happens. So anyway, right now we're probably George. Have you met a Beatle? I've never met a Beatle. Um, how close have you been? How close have I been? Um, I've been within 15 feet of Paul. Can you get closer than that? No. <laughs> champion. <laughs> I, uh, we've been in, um, we've been in, in Paul and John's childhood homes in Liverpool. Yeah, we did that. That, that was, was pretty cool. cool to like sit in the bedroom where they wrote, I saw her standing there. That's kind of a trip. Um, but yeah, I, I've never been in the same room as, as a Beatle at the same time. Okay. Uh, what, I, I will say the first time I ever played, uh, with, it was a gig Cowboy Mouth did and we played at Tad Gormley Stadium we were playing after like a race and I mean, it couldn't have been any less important of a show, but I was like, I'm playing a show where the Beatles played a show today. This is a big day. Oh my God. <laughs> ah, 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 so, that's cute. Well, it was a good day for me. I, I saw at, uh, the last time the Super Bowl was in town mm-hmm. that I was do, I was covering Super Bowl of musical events for Rolling Stone. And I was, it was at something and Paul was in the VIP section and I watched him talking to Mark Cuban. And I don't know how that affects my, my feelings about Paul. I think he would talk to anybody. Oh, so yeah. I don't think that's as a sign yeah. of like a, of a failure that I he's talking. Like he's so polite. Like if anyone, cause like, I don't think Paul McCartney is approaching anyone. He just kind of like is. And if you choose yeah. to be brave enough to speak to him, when was will. the last time he said, my name is Paul. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that? When did he last have to introduce himself? I don't think that happens. I don't think he remembers yeah. how to do that. Yeah, probably not. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, I would imagine like whoever comes up to him, he's probably just very gracious oh. and kind and yeah. will give you as much time as he sees fit. At He'll the pull out his little baby harmonica and play a little <laughs> diddle, a little ditty and then run off. I love it. That would yeah. be amazing. I love it. Well, Alex, what do you have going on? What's coming up for you in the world of my spilt milk? these days i am i've got a story on 79ers gang that i am working to finish that i think is really interesting i think they've it's a you know new orleans mardi gras indian crew and made a genuinely actually contemporary sounding mardi gras indian record called expect the unexpected mm-hmm. and it's got a pretty good story behind it and i think they're worth really worth the worth the time and so i am finishing that by the time this this uh, drops that should probably be out and have been out in the world for a while. Okay, um, but anyway, um, 
after that, you know, right now, you know, trying to write about music and is, you know, such a moving target right now as to what's happening, where the, where the story is. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I've been, I've got a piece and I'll probably continue to work on, on sort of writing about live streams. Cause I think that's, I think that's where business, that's the piece of this that's going to be a thing moving forward. Right. Like it's not going to be, it won't, you know, it's not going to be a substitute for touring, but I think as more people think about it, explore it, figure out ways to use it, I could easily see bands realizing that they can, you know, instead of tour for eight or nine months and then, you know, take, a, take you know, six months off and then do something again. It's like, yeah, maybe we tour a little bit less or while we or while we while we're recharging our batteries, let's just we'll do one do a lot one live stream do a one off live stream show and you know i think that's got some interest and and i think i'm interested also because it's just a matter of thinking through how do we deal with this because you I hate to say but you know after you know you know we've had in the last you know 20 years we've you know sars you know they weren't you know we've had a number of of world you know pandemics that didn't all affect america but we can't assume that, you know, that uh, COVID-19 is a one-off. Right. Right. And uh, so it's, you know, we, we, you know, we hope for the best and we can, you know, hope that in the future it'll be managed better. But I think anybody who's a musician thinking about their future and thinking about careers has to think about what to do when you can't do this, when you can't do things that we are used to, because, we can't assume that after once we get once we get this coronavirus thing cleaned up, that after that, good to go, baby. Everybody hit the road, break out the van. And then, uh, twelve songs of Christmas coming back soon after Labor Day. Twelve songs of Christmas will come back on the first Wednesday after Labor Day. Yes, we will be back, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward. I've already got a, I already got a few interview interviews in the can. This is. Unfortunately, here's one of the ways where coronavirus has uh, has sort of kicked my plans in the uh, in the ass was that I'd figured I got a great idea. I'm going to, you know, like when bands are touring mm-hmm. who have Christmas music, I'll go ahead and interview them about what they're doing and Christmas music. And so I can take half of it into spilt milk and half of it I'll have in the can for uh, for Christmas season. And so I could start the Christmas season with, you know, with seven or eight interviews already done. Yeah. And now no one's on damn tour. <laughs> so stupid, stupid virus. Right. Alex, thank you so much, man. This has been a wonderful conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you'll come back and do it again soon. Definitely. This has been great. I wonderful. really enjoyed it. And good luck with this. I think y'all got a great idea here. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. All my best to the fam. Talk to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. Bye, man. Adios. That's Alex Rawls, everybody. Yes. Good man. The dude knows some stuff, man. I love talking music with him. Well, anyway, this has been a whole lot of fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it, too. If you have, please check us out at Facebook and Instagram at Ranking the Beatles. Uh, If you have an idea of who you'd like to hear us talk Beatles with, shoot us an email at rankingthebeatles at gmail.com. Don't forget to hop on those podcast platforms and smash that subscribe button. Like hit it hard. Yeah. Sound effects. I'm working with 
supreme budgets, man. This is what we do. This is big budget stuff. Big that budget was, shit. Don't let him fool you. That was just his. Ah, that's, that's the well. smash pod. The smash noise. <laughs> All right. Everybody, it's been a pleasure. My name is Jonathan. I'm Julia. Have a great one. This has been Ranking the Beatles. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. Bye-bye.